Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Rabbit Hole Show. Uh, this week, we have one of my barn brothers. Uh, this is, I guess, the third barn brother who's been here uh, to share his story and just have a conversation with me. But Robin Eckert, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, Chad. Thank good. you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to have you. Oh, um, likewise. Yes. Yeah, so I guess I've been going to the barn since maybe about October of last year and went a few times. And then uh, this year, the last maybe five, six months, been making it every Tuesday thing. Because uh, I've been praying for community and the Man. Lord presented uh, community to me. That's right. So uh, and it helps with my anxiety and just uh where i am in life and the direction i'm going so thank well, you it's for always coming. it's always a pleasure to see you there yeah every tuesday absolutely <laughs> barn north right now barn north that's right tyndall uh, furniture <laughs> yeah tyndall furniture so if you're looking for furniture go to tyndall furniture out in fort mill that's right 521. 521 and then on tuesday nights you can come and hang out with us as yep as we await the repairing of our barn yep um and if you want to eat from six to seven, we meet at the show Mars right below, right below. That's right. Um, so I know, you know, a lot of times people say, my name is Charles Height, Robin Eckerd. What do you do? But that's not what you like to, uh, you know, introduce yourself as. So I'm going to ask you, you know, you're Robin Eckerd, but what is your story? <laughs> and good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about this just a little bit ago. I remember, uh, one of the last times I played golf, um, we, we had a twosome and we were getting assigned to another twosome. So we didn't know the guys, right? Mm -hmm. And the first one comes walking out and I made the mistake of asking him what he did. I shook his hand. I'm Robin. You're so-and-so. And what do you do? And he says, I'm an attorney. And all of a sudden I became like, I, I'm not on this guy's level. You know, I, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't feel like I can measure up. Right. Yeah. So I, I didn't engage any further. He got in a golf cart and he was waiting for his buddy to come. And I saw that I had stepped into the wrong way of trying to get to know somebody. And so when his buddy came out, I said, I'm Robin Eckerd. And he took my hand and I said, tell me a little bit about your story. What's your, what, you know, your life, what's, you can't know a man unless you know his story, right? And yeah. he goes, oh yeah, you're right. And for the next hour and a half, he didn't shut up. <laughs> which was fine i mean yeah. he was you know i was nodding and listening and and trying to pay attention in the midst of me shanking balls left and right you know but, happens. But, uh, yes it does <laughs> but that uh is something that's a big part of my story i would always compare myself to you know my neighbor uh Hi. people i went to school with uh someone i just met because you know, you hear, I'm an attorney or I'm a doctor, and you're like, well, what am I doing? Yeah. I just got out of rehab, right. jail, right. the hospital, right. well, you right. name it. Uh, but that's part of my story, and we all have a different story. And that's the purpose of this podcast platform that I'm trying to create. Uh, we all have a story, and allowing yes. someone else to hear your story allows you to get to know that person. And then, Absolutely. know, hey, I'm not alone, whether my struggle's the same as theirs or my Struggles are different, but it allows you and lets you know we all have a story and we all have struggles and we're not alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know when I was uh, active uh, for many years in AA, I, uh, the, the first five or six months, I finally got released by my sponsor to do my four-step. And um, that took almost six months, which was almost like writing my story. But it was about all the things that I had done to harm others and what others had done to harm me. Mm -hmm. And what did that strike? You know, what chord did that strike in me when they hurt me or they um, they betrayed me or whatever, whatever those things yeah. were. Right. Um, and it took me almost six months uh, to write that. It was about an inch and a half thick spiral bound collegiate. You know, one of those yep. <laughs> and um, single line, st single space, you know, and I filled it up. I didn't realize I could fill it up. I never <laughs> thought there was that much in me to do. <laughs> but um, and when did you begin AA? Uh, well, let's knock 30 years off of this year. And okay. we're back in 1992, 91. Yeah, nine. 91, 92. So, yeah. Right in I'm there. I'm 31. I was born in 91, so 92 ish. It was uh, it was July 
21st. So we just, just had, had a, your anniversary. Just had a birthday and didn't even know it. Happy birthday. Blew right by. <laughs> Thank you. Happy birthday. <laughs> so it's 31. See, I've got a 30-year chip in my pocket. So and that's why 91. I was having trouble figuring that out because now it's 31. So it was 91 then. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. That's I'm, a big accomplishment. Well, uh, I I mean, I agree. I'm, I, I'll tell you a quick story here about um, when I was in um, my full-blown uh, drinking practice. You know how doctors have practices? Oh, yeah. They do every day. Something in alcohol. And I had, a, drinks I had that. You know, uh, bicep curl practice going on, <laughs> right? Um, it was um, 1990, 1989, 90, and 91 where life started coming apart at the seams. Uh, my daughter had been severely burned by an accident that my wife was involved in with her in the house. Mm. Um, that, that drove a wedge between both of us, me and my wife. Um, I wanted her to be treated one way, and she she just couldn't stand to see Sarah in any other pain. Sarah was 18 months old and uh, a Dutch oven size boiling water, boiling chicken off the bone kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She had moved it, best as I can remember, moved it off the stove, poured it into a Tupperware and was going to put it in the freezer. Sarah and Hannah, my two daughters, ran in between her and the refrigerator and the pan, the Tupperware caught the lip of the bottom door of the refrigerator and then just dump straight down Ooh. i mean it the timing if there is perfect timing that was but it. that's not the kind of thing you want to have perfect timing no. with right no especially with, i mean anyone but an 18 month old child right your daughter so they rushed her to the hospital and and um that was probably one of my most um when i when i work with other people and i talk to them about what your concept of god is well that was the day that my concept of god was revealed to me mm. and it wasn't a very good concept yeah I was absolutely furious. God, why would you allow this to happen? Right. Even though, I mean, I'd been keeping my practice going for about 10 or 12 years, Mm -hmm. I was still going to church. I was still doing the religious things that a good Christian would do, whether you saw that or not. He's winking right right. now. (laughs) (laughs) So so, um, when that hit uh, and that happened, that was like one of the major wake-up calls. Right. But it was wasn't something I caused, but it was something that I could have could have been there for her. I could have I don't know that I could have altered anything. I doubt it. I don't look back on it and say, Well, I should have done this or should have done that because all that's gonna is. do is make me go want to take another drink. Correct. You know? <laughs> so yeah. I'm not gonna do that. Mm-hmm. But um she was forty three days in intensive care and about forty five percent of her body was uh third degree burns. Wow. And, um, you know, this thing with Ann Hike that just happened, um, mm, yeah, and she tragedy. just died yesterday, right? Yep. At 53 years old, I, it reminded me of Sarah's situation of going, I could only imagine what Ann Hike was going through in the hospital, except that she went into a coma. So she never felt any of that after, yep. after the fact, thank God. But, uh, Sarah was awake, you know, a lot. And it and was 18 months old, 18 just to remind old, our listeners, right. like, yes. So I'm sure a lot of screams and just as a parent, you want to be like, just trade places with me or, right. but you can't. No. And that's probably got to be one of the hardest things as a parent. It was uh, trying, you know, trusting the doctors, which, you know, I had reason not to trust one of them. Uh, he looked at my daughter when she first went in and he turned to my, um, my wife at the time and he said, uh, I don't know why you're upset. This is just second. Second degree superficial burns. It's no big deal. What if that was your daughter, sir? <laughs> so he was a, I think a first or second year resident. Mm. Chief. He was going to be a plastic surgeon, but I think he had missed one of his courses. I'm not sure, but yeah, um, I could tell. You know, I mean, it's easy to know what a third degree burn is when all the skin is missing. Yeah. Right. And for from. About middle ways, over and around to the middle of her back and her entire arm, there was no skin, glistening mm. pink. Yeah, I mean, and she's laid out on a gurney, you know, with morphine in a diaper. I'm not a doctor, but it sounds like third degree burn. Pretty much, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so that kind of caused a rift between me and my wife because I was, um, I wanted to try to take her to a Shriners Hospital where mm-hmm. they could deal with burns in a more specialty way. But 
my wife just couldn't take the idea of any more pain, any more grafts, any, anything that would have prolonged this. So anyway, um, that was like one of the big, you know, now my life is that something pieces are getting damaged and ruined. You know, my business was suffering. Um, and what really, um, what really, well, I was, I was going to tell you about the 32 year chip guy. He's, uh, he was father to one of my friends and I, I go to church one day and he looks at me and I come in and he goes, um, have you got a problem? I mean, I think you know what I mean. I might be able to help you. I don't have any problems. Of course not. <laughs> like we talked about. I'm <laughs> fine. Mm-hmm. I'm just fine as fine can be. Yep. <laughs> so Don't ask. <laughs> right. Don't ask. Right. And so he meets, you know, I was coaching soccer for my little girls and he meets me out on the field one day and he pulls out a 32 year bronze chip from Alcoholics Anonymous. Did you ever seen one of these? And I went, no, um, I'd never been to an AA meeting. I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, well, you never need any help. <laughs> that was it. And then he Just walked away. Yeah. You ever need any help, right? Well, I didn't go to him for help. Uh, about two months later, I was, uh, my daughter said, but we belong to the swim club, Idlewild Swim Club. Mm-hmm. And so I was t- it was a Sunday afternoon, take, took them to the swim club. And I spent most of the day in the bar. Mm-hmm. They had a little, a little bar off to the side of the swimming pool. And um, I, I remember that my receipt for my tab was $22. And the Budweiser's there that day were a dollar a piece. Wow. So when I got in the car to drive them home, I don't remember it. When I got home, I couldn't remember a stoplight, a turn, anything about the trip. Wow. And it and it just scared me to death that I could I could jeopardize their lives. Yeah. In such a in such a way. As long as I was driving by myself and drinking, it was cool. Because you were fine. I'm, yeah. I'm joking, but yeah. <laughs> you know, right. But I wasn't worried about killing me. Because your conscience didn't kick in then. No. At least when I was in addiction with, you know, drugs or whatever. It, right. If, I, if it was just me, I was fine. But when others were involved, I was a little more. A little more alert, you know, right? Correct. <laughs> yes. Scary to think that way, but. True. I don't, I don't know why the, the mind goes like that. I mean, as, as they call it in Alcoholics Anonymous, stinking thinking. Mm-hmm. The Bible calls it flesh. Yeah. You know, I like to call it that committee of three, me, myself, and I. And when those guys get together, it doesn't turn out very well. Nope. It's not. If that's the only influence I got going on, I'm probably going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And um, so that that afternoon, um, let's see, it was two days later. I I called AA uh, and asked what it was all about. Because see, I was a Christian, and and I didn't want to get involved in any cults. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I, I had to check it out. I had yeah. to make oh, yeah. sure it was biblical. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so self righteous. <laughs> oh. Anyway, um, I asked the guy. And he goes, uh, what's your zip code? I told him my zip code. He said, there's three meetings tonight at 730 near your house. Be there. And I went, you're not answering my question. I asked you what this was all about. What's these 12-step things? What's going on? And he goes, something like 901 John Street in Matthews, 730. Be there. And I'm like wanting to break the phone you know, because <laughs> he's not listening, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I just got, I got really angry and I, it was one of those princess phones that used to have, you know, 10 keypad on them. I don't yeah, yeah. I'm probably, you know, any of the <laughs> millennial, millennial people that see this are going to Don't think, know what that is. They go, what? It's not a keypad? cell phone. No, it's not a cell phone, right? <laughs> I took that receiver and I smashed it onto the wall. It was at my mother-in-law's house and it just tore it off the wall. <laughs> Sounds like a typical addict, right? Mm-hmm. So what I do, I was going to show him. I got in the car and I went to that meeting, by God. And I was going to find out myself because nobody was going to tell me. Yeah. And that's the night that I picked up my first white chip. They said, if you feel like you've got a problem with alcohol and you want to walk with us one day at a time, come up here and pick up the white chip, a symbol of surrender, and um, and we'll do it together. Well, I knew I was in trouble. I, I knew my kidneys were pounding all the time. My I, I, was, I was having double vision. I mean, I knew that something was seriously wrong. And if I didn't stop soon, I was going to. You weren't going to be here having this conversation. That's today. right. There you go. There you go. So um, the guy that ended up being my sponsor came up to me that night as we were leaving. And he says, I'm really proud of you. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. 
He says, um, you know, your problem's not drinking. And I'm like, are you an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> this has been a, this, I can't get free of this thing, right? Yeah. I mean, every day it was, I'm not going to do this again. And every afternoon I was back at it again. You had to keep your practice strong. That's right. Going. That workout. So, that's right. And he says, uh, your problem's not drinking. Your problem is living. You don't know how to live. You've got a broken coper. Mm. Now, I've heard of a coping saw, mm-hmm. you know, where you take the uh, crown molding and you cut around the edges to make yep. it fit just right. But I'm going, coper? What is a coper? He says, you don't know how to cope with life on life's term. And he was dead on the money. I'd agree with that for my life. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody had ever taught me how to cope with life on life's terms. So I think that's a, one of the reasons why I go to the barn uh, is because the concept of being fathered by other masculine men mm-hmm. or, be, or fathering other young men uh, is a lost art in the families, in my opinion. I'd agree. Right? I mean, you have social media, you have Hollywood trying to... Um, put their beliefs out there mm-hmm. it, our school system right it's not yeah but, but uh, for instance none of it is about how do you handle the feminine heart mm-hmm. right how, we, we know we're supposed to go out on a date we've been in the locker rooms in high school and that's not a good teaching place for how to handle no. a woman's heart right correct so what is this feminine heart and how do we how do we navigate that you know most of us were never taught by our fathers and unfortunately our fathers i'm not trying to put an indictment out on fathers because their fathers didn't teach them mm-hmm. and their fathers behind them didn't teach them and it's just been the generational curse it's just right it goes it goes through all the way to us now and and so this generation we're on this planet right now and it's our time and so what can we pass on to those who come after us, mm-hmm. what can we learn from our own mistakes and how how to handle the feminine heart? I, I mean, I have a had a wife and two daughters, right? I got femininity running all over the mm-hmm. place, right? Yeah. Uh, and not knowing what to do, not knowing what it meant. Uh, it wasn't until at the barn when I uh, was going through the Wild at Heart series with them, a uh, book written by John Eldridge. Uh, there's a chapter in there, every man has a beauty to rescue. And when he said, uh, the women, he was interviewing these five women on a DVD, and he said, uh, what is it, what's the one thing that you want from your husband or your father? One thing, if you could have just one thing, what would it be? And the, there were three things that they came up with, but mm-hmm. I mean, it was individually. But to me, they were, it was eye-opening to me. Uh, one lady said, and she was like in her 40s, she said, I want to be seen. I want to be known. The other lady said, I want to know that I captivate my husband's heart, just like when we were dating, that I'm captivating to him. Mm. And so with this, I want to be seen and known, it's kind of like the first picture that came into my mind is when my wife would come out of the bathroom and say, honey, how do I look? And she's never asking you about your weight, uh, her weight, excuse me. She's never asking that question, right? Uh, and the husband who goes, well, I think you could probably lose a couple pounds over here, over there. You know, not what she wants. Probably going to, gonna, you know, not have a good evening. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and we'll be sleeping on the couch, probably or outside. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Far away as she can get him. Um, so to know her, to see her, in a way, it's like knowing her story too, right? And paying attention. Correct. To all the trauma she's gone through, everything that she's experienced in her life, and listening to it with empathy, not listening with the idea of fixing it. Correct. Right? And it's so difficult for us as guys to do that because we're wired to <laughs> conquer, to fix. You're target-oriented, right? Give me, give me what the job is to do, and I'm going to go do that. And I'm not going to probably think about much else until I get that done. Correct. Right. So with the feminine heart, it's like God's actually asked us to do something that's opposite of who we are. When, when I say opposite, I'm talking about opposite from masculinity. Of how we're wired. Right. Of how we're wired. Right. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and died for it. Well, 
we'd rather respect our wives because that's what we do with each other. Casey and I just met, shook hands, pretty much respect each other. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I respect you, brother. <laughs> but I mean, it, it just it's like natural to us as Correct. men, right? But that's the instruction for the wife. Wives, respect your husbands, mm-hmm. which is a honoring, uh, well, I'll just use the word honor, a way to honor another person. So for us, it's love your wives. Well, how do we love her? Well, Jesus died. Literally, the Son of God came here, paid the price for the entire world's sin, absorbed it all in massive forgiveness. So that might be a clue for us that with our girlfriends, with our wives, that forgiveness might be like really high on the list, right? Yeah. (laughs) Rather than going, you need to think like I think. That's what most of us do. And we're all wired differently. Men, right. all the three of us in this room are all wired differently. That's right. Women are all wired differently. This is life. We have to learn how to get along and live together. That's right. The Bible talks about living in understanding with each other. Well, how can you understand somebody if you don't know what they've gone through, right? I think since my you know, story kind of, I guess, or addiction struggles, kind of came to an end last year and now i have different struggles in addiction but i didn't really understand what that meant until that happened and i understood what my story was and how it shaped me into who i am becoming and who you know i was raised by my parents and Mm -hmm. what god calls me to be and my now plan for my life is starting to align with god's plan yeah it's not Oh, I want this. I want that. And God's like, no. And I'm like, why? You know, <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah. on my way, right? <laughs> and learning to have patience, which I've prayed for. And I've, as I've said in a few episodes, you pray for patience. Be careful. Be careful. Well, it, it's going to come automatically because he's going to, the Lord's going to bring you in situations where you have to depend on him. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, Patience begins to come because I have one friend that that uh, he calls God the King of Slow because <laughs> <laughs> it's never as fast as he wants it to happen, mm-hmm. right? Um, <laughs> so I always I always laugh at that. Um, once I started in with this journey with with AA, um, I just wanted to finish that piece off there. The sponsor told me that first night that I had ninety days that he would work with me. And if I didn't do everything he told me to do, bye. He said, I've got five other men I'm working with, and I don't have time to fool around. Um, and I said, well, if you'll take me, you know, I was like desperate. If you'll take me, you know, he goes, I got 90 days. And he said, I, you know, first thing I want you to do is do 90 meetings in 90 days. I've heard that so many times That's the now. first thing they say when you go to a meeting. Right. <laughs> and um, And I went, really? I mean, like, I don't have time for that. And he goes, you had time to find a bar every single night of the week, didn't you? Maybe you can find a time to go to a meeting, right? And the guy who you called A said there's three right around the corner. That's right. So. There's always one available. I mean, there's like 180 meetings going on in Charlotte every day. And then with COVID. Morning, uh, noon, night. And then with COVID, they started doing them on Zoom. All Zoom, right. So, I mean, there's really no excuse to as far as to get help other than our own denial yeah i mean the first thing is acceptance right i've got to come to a place of powerlessness and and i mean that the the uh original 10 steps were created by a group called the oxford group which was a christian group trying to win people to jesus their first step was i am powerless over sin and my life is unmanageable well bill wilson the first guy in AA took that step and changed it to my main problem was alcohol. And I know today that that wasn't my main problem, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it was glaring. Mm-hmm. That one was glaring, but that's not my main problem. That was your coping mechanism. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it, the drinking wasn't the issue. It was the living, right? And so I coped with living with alcohol. Mm -hmm. because it was socially acceptable you know i wasn't going to get thrown in jail unless they caught me you know dui or something yeah but i i I could go to any party and i could you know it was acceptable put enough away to where i was flying high and or at least thinking i was Mm -hmm. and and that nobody else could tell that i was (laughs) 
which I'm sure they could. In my mind, I was exactly right. I'm, I'm okay. I'm cool, man. You know, I'm not that nothing, high nothing and... going on. Can't talk. Can't walk. But I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that man, um, that night, that started me down a path of recovery, and uh, we became fast friends. I called him every day at four thirty in the afternoon. I talked to him. Uh, talked to him about everything, anything, and everything. Uh, he always listened. He wasn't mean or gruff. Um, and the more I got out to talk, the more I shared what was going on inside of me, the freer I became, the less that I felt the need to have to use. Mm -hmm. so one of the great things about the barn, I'm not trying to make this a commercial about the barn. Well, I mean, I talk, I welcome anyone to come. There Any you guy. Go. That's Any guy. Right. Fortunately, no girls. Well, um, I know, but <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's the he man's he man. What do they call that? The little rascals, the he man um, woman haters club. Yes, something like that. We don't right? hate women. We though. don't we hate women. Them. That's right. But any guy Tuesday nights, that's shoot a, me a text or email and come on out. That's right. And it's. I mean, I would say that. Um, I say to most guys, there's only one qualification to get in at the bar. You got to be a guy. <laughs> you got to be. A man might not have come to your true self yet and walking in your masculine, true created heart that God gave you, but that's the qualification to come. And that's, that's where, a good place and that's to where come we're to going. The barn where you're struggling. Right. Because everyone in the barn has struggled or is struggling, and it's a exactly. place of community. Exactly. To help each other. So we started out with, with Wild at Heart as the main focus, that book, Wild at Heart. And it was basically what I tell people is it, it's, Men trying to recover the true masculinity that a male person on this planet should walk in. What did God create you? He created you masculine. He created you a male. And so what does that look like? How do we, how do we live that out in our true self, mm -hmm. not our false self? Or, you know, Eldridge calls it a pose, right? A poser in, in his book. Um, the Bible calls it flesh. It's the leftover information from the Adamic life. And I know that's going probably deeper than we want to go. <laughs> but the mind, will, and the emotion hold that worldview, hold that uh, everything that we've ever seen and done in our lives as we were growing up, whatever influenced us has been basically recorded up here, just like a hard drive on a computer. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what ruled our, that, that has dominion over us you know we give our lives to christ and he says we've been made into a new creature a new creation mm -hmm. behold he says behold all things are new well it, it, it's an inter interesting piece that the greek in that text of all things are new is present tense it's not written in past and it's not written in future it's written in the now mm. so every time you read it it says the same thing. It doesn't go, well, you were new yesterday and now you screwed up, so you're old now. Correct. Right? Or you're tainted. You're new every day mm -hmm. because you are welded together with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. And Amen. he made you new. He made you a new man. Well, then what does that mean? I mean, how do I walk that new man out in this life? Do I just keep living like I was? And, well, that didn't work, right? No. <laughs> so my best my best thinking got me in those rooms. The stinking thinking. Stinking thinking again. And uh, I love, there's another book. Um, it's called Lifetime Guarantee by Bill Gillum. And he says in that book that we decided from birth as we were growing up to be the Lord of our reign. Mm. You've heard the term, this is my world. Mm -hmm. And I'm just letting you breathe my air kind of thing. Well, it's the same deal, right? Yep. I've created my world the way I want it around me. I want the correct responses from everybody around me, and I want the wor the business world to respond to me the way I want. Give me the right job, you know. I want everything the way I want it. And life wasn't created and made that way. No, that's why it's called life. That's right. That's right. But so the fall of man back in the story of Adam and Eve created this problem. It shattered us. Our spirit went dead. We, we only lived out of our mind, will, and emotion, and that's why the, the, the Greeks and the Aristotles and the Plato's of the world, they, they always talked about us having, being a two-part being, that we were a body and we were a soul. Mm -hmm. So you heard a lot about 
my soul going to heaven, my mm-hmm. soul this. That was the, for thousands of years, that was the thinking that we were a two-part being. Come to find out that the scripture tells us that we're a three-part being, that we are a body, we are a soul, our mind, will, and emotion, mm-hmm. and we're a spirit. Mm-hmm. So this spirit man is dead in everybody, and we're living out of this part, right? We're gathering data through our eyes and our ears. Usually when trauma happens, you know, um, so a little bit of my story is that uh, between my mother and my dad and my stepdad, there were 11 marriages. Wow. No dysfunctionality there. None. None. <laughs> Everything was easy going, yeah. easy peasy, right? <laughs> uh, my real father uh, left when I was two. Uh, he was a World War II veteran, uh, ended up uh, working for the Department of Interior all his life or the what became the EPA mm-hmm. in the excuse me, in the federal government. And um, so he traveled, you know, to D.C., to Bartlesville, Oklahoma, to where all the oil fields were, anything that was petroleum-based, he was put there. He was he managed and um, helped run the Alaskan pipeline. Oh, wow. He was up in Juneau for a number of years. So I, I never saw him when I was little, except once a year I'd see him if I was fortunate. Wow. And he would come and take us to a circus or take us to – out that lunch a fun out yeah yeah and then gone you know and i was back with my mom unfortunately my mom was um a cat on a hot tin roof it's the best way i know how to describe her. Mm-hmm. she was always nervous anxiety always at the highest levels mm. and always irritated it seemed so we all thought it was us right that we were there's something wrong with us that she keeps reacting to us like this correct so this whole concept of when my well i'm going to couple what I just said about my mother and my uh, biological father. And then my stepdad came into play when I was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. He moved us down here from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Charlotte. And um, in less than three years, they had had three babies. I was 13 years old when my mother had a set of twins. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and they're now in their 50s. My, how time flies, right? <laughs> But uh, my mother came to me on my 13th birthday and said, guess what? I've got a great present for you. And I went, what? She goes, you're going to love it. I'm having twins. <laughs> and my mind just went, <laughs> I was what? like, why is that supposed to make me happy? I mean, there's already four of us in this family, and now, or five, and now we're going to throw two more into the mix. And <laughs> guess what happened? I became a permanent babysitter yeah that's, that's where my mind was going right <laughs> well she because he they divorced three years into the marriage and so he was gone wow i find out one day i come home and i'm sitting at the dinner table and i looked at my mother and i went where's roy that was his first name mm-hmm. where's roy and she said well he's he's not here i'm like if i'd known this word back then i would have gone duh because <laughs> <laughs> that's why i'm asking he's not here he's not here and uh, she said, no, he's, he's, he's not here. And I went, when's he coming back? Well, I don't know. Is he ever coming back? No. So between my dad leaving, my mom being a cat on a hot tin roof, and this other gentleman adopted me when he married my mother at 11. So my last name wasn't Eckerd. That's my biological name. Mm. So I was adopted in the state of North Carolina by Roy Camp. And my last name was Camp all the way through high school and early 20s, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't until I was 28 when we had our first daughter that, that I wanted to honor, you know, when the scripture says, honor your father and your mother, that your days be long. I wanted to honor my father. And I had two of them to think about. And neither one of them were active in my life at the time. Correct. Right. So which father? <laughs> Another dilemma. So. I uh, I chose my biological father because he had started to re-engage when Hannah was born, my oldest daughter, mm-hmm. and you know was around, wanted to see her. So it was like he was grandfathering her, and I thought, okay, th- th- this would be that's that's, that's the one because the other one's just complete. Sorry, sorry, completely out of the picture. Well, yeah, where is he? Right. <laughs> uh, so he agreed, Mister Camp. He agreed to allow the adoption to be completely annulled and for me to take back my original father's name. I was the, uh, at that time, the first case in North Carolina where an adopted person took back their biological name. Oh, wow. Ever. <laughs> Which I didn't know until after the fact. Uh, yeah. I was famous for something, I guess. <laughs> um, 
But anyway. Uh, not for being on the rabbit hole show. That's <laughs> now, 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 this is ratcheted it up. I mean, okay. You see, right. this is another level. We, we, we take <laughs> um, So with them leaving, the men in my life leaving. Now, remember I said she was married. Five, well, I didn't tell you. She was married five times. They were each married three times apiece. Wow. So once the her first husband died, the second one was my dad. The third one was the stepdad. Mm-hmm. Fourth and fifth were I was out of the house by then. Didn't even really care I, I, to get I, to know I, him I, I, did, right of the track record exactly. So this message that and I didn't understand this until I came into my fifties. So most of my drinking, most of my addiction was over the anger of not having a dad, wanting to connect with my dad mm-hmm. and not being able to. Yeah. Um, what I came to believe about myself through those experiences was that I was nobody's son. Mm. None of the men stuck around, so guess I wasn't wanted. I don't I mean, what, you, what we read into things. Correct. Where right? our mind takes us. Right. I often say that, and I got this, uh, listen, I don't have any new material. Everything I got, I've gotten from somebody else. So I'm, I'd, get, I'd love to give credit. I can't remember where I got this. You got a good memory then. Well, God <laughs> bless you. So children are great recorders. They're terrible interpreters. Mm-hmm. And this is why I think fathers are so important in a child's life. That if a father's well-grounded and his his life is in the right direction, and he can guide his children as to what life means when it's happening, when bad things happen. How do I determine what does that mean about me? Mm-hmm. And how do you handle it and cope with it? Right. You can go the worldly way or the biblical way. That's right. And having a role model, a stable family, you know, that makes it easier Absolutely. for an individual or a child to understand, you know, how do you cope with life on life's terms? Exactly. If if the statistics are 52% of all first marriages fail, whether Christian or secular, it's really a horrible track record. Mm-hmm. And it's probably only going to go up. Right. So if you've got 50% or 52% of all first marriages failing, you could parlay that into 52% of all the households don't have fathers in them. And then we look out into the world now and we see all the identity struggles that kids are having in schools uh and there's no daddy there to tell them who they are now i'm going to give you a quick for instance eldridge talks about in his book wild at heart that when the when the father god in the scriptures it says the when jesus was baptized the father said it said sounded like trumpets and thunder when he said this as jesus came out of the water this is my beloved son in whom i am well Please mm. imagine that as a giant stamp of validation. Yep. He validated his son by his father's word, the fathering words of this is my beloved son. It's like, look, everybody, you know, and, and drawing attention to Jesus, whom I am well pleased. I ask guys all the time, when was the last time you heard your father look or Saw your father, looked him in the eye, and heard him say, I'm proud of you. I'm well pleased in you. Yeah. And for me, my dad, um, you know, Land Height, uh, he used to tell me that a bunch. And in my mind, it was, why? What am I doing in life? But now when he tells me, and he tells me quite often to where I'm like, okay, I understand. I get it. <laughs> but a lot of kids don't, you know, have that. No. Um, but it it just means so much to me because I know he's truly proud of me, and he's reminding me of where I was and where I am now and who I am now. Yes, um, and that I can cut myself some slack and some grace to, you know, be proud of myself. Absolutely, a- like as you. you should be. Yeah, because um, our other one of our other bigger problems is that not knowing how to love ourselves, and that was a big problem for most of my struggles right you know right why should i love myself why should i love myself and it for me it went back to comparing myself to everyone else that we talked about in the beginning that's right um and then there was you know with that self-worth who's my identity in uh just feeling lost and 
just feeling like I didn't belong on this earth. There you go. So my three core lies were I'm nobody's son. I don't fit and I don't belong. Mm -hmm. so every crowd I got into, I didn't fit. I felt my, I was uncomfortable in my own skin. And the only way I could get comfortable, I thought, was to sock down a few drinks. And by that time, I was mostly numb, so it just mm -hmm. didn't matter anymore. Correct. Right? And um, but that that was a ruse too. I mean, that that never actually satisfied because as soon as the drink wore off, the next morning I wake up with headaches and throwing up and everything else, and um, that goes along with hangover issues. Yeah. And not and and the then the moral hangover as well. But generally, the, the shame, right? Correct. What Guilt, did I do last shame, night? Yes, or, yes, all that you got it. And you got to the point where I don't even want to hear what I did because if I don't hear it, it didn't. It happen. didn't happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like to say that most of us with addiction issues, um, and, which includes a lot of people, I don't think anybody Correct. gets out of this life without some sort of an addiction. An addiction doesn't have to be alcohol or That's drugs. Right. That's right. You know? And I've said that before. It could be money, porn, uh, work. Television. Even, yeah, television, right? reading Food, too much, right? whatever. <laughs> right. There's all types of addictions. So, so we have this, uh, this thing that we do at Grace Life. Um, and it's three pages of three columns on each page. And they are what we call the manifestations of the flesh or strategies for living. Mm. Okay. And we've gleaned over the years, 25 years of um, various ways people try to cope with life. Right. And virtually everything we've talked about and then some is Correct. are on these lists. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'll usually ask somebody to circle the bullet point beside the thing that they struggle with to cope with you know, using as a coping mechanism. Yep. Because I don't think, um, you know, this is really theological, but I don't believe that it's the things that we do that cause that that are the sins that that will take us out when it comes to God. It's mm -hmm. not what we do. It's whether we believe in him. So the doing is based in you should not do this you should do that shouldn't you know i mean it's all the do's and don'ts and correct you need to's you know and so that's that's what, what i would call law-based living i'm living under a set of shoulds and shouldn'ts and a lot of people do that, and that's not the way to live right and most people want to tell everybody else you know this is what you should do right and now I'm trying to be God over your life when I and do that. that's not how it works. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so this coming to this place of I've trusted in Christ. 1975, I gave my life to Christ, or he took me over one or the other. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to take credit for it. But he, I mean, he formed he, a relationship. Yeah, he, he kind of had to like intervene. Exactly. That's <laughs> a good <laughs> word, right? <laughs> um, it was at a Lutheran church, and the pastor says, anybody believes anybody that believes in what I've been talking about today and want to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, come up front and accept him. Well, I went, that sounds like a good program to me. I'm going to go do that. Mm -hmm. uh, this elderly lady walked up to me after I stood up. She said, she looked me right in the eye and said, Robin, I'm so glad you're saved. Mm. I never met her before in my life. Wow. And I've never seen her since. Mm. And I'll never forget her. Yeah. And just because you're saved doesn't mean life's going to be easy. Cherry on top. Right. Because. I thought, but see, I thought now, come on, now that you've brought this up, <laughs> come on. I thought that it was whipped cream with a cherry on top. Yeah. See, that's, that's what I was looking for. I'm going to get everything I want. Now. Everything. You know, I got, I got this, uh, you know, candy daddy here, you know, that's a sugar daddy is going to do whatever mm -hmm. I, I want. Right. Which is the furthest thing from the truth. Um, though. He has blessed me beyond measure. Ever since I gave my life to him, I have never gone without. Uh, I have I have been healed of many things, more emotional than anything else, and and the even dependence on him mm -hmm. for those needs of what I call love, acceptance, worth, and security. To get those needs met, I'm I am on a journey to as he's stripping away my dependence on me, on myself. Mm -hmm. And moving me to trusting him. And that's been, that's probably been going on the whole time and I just didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the last 10 years, 
I can pretty much focus in on saying, okay, this is where that's happening. Mm-hmm. Now I call it uh, brokenness where we begin to be, it's kind of like when a horse is broken. You could break a horse without breaking its spirit, mm-hmm. but you can break his will to where he will give over to your leadership. Correct. Right? But he's still got his personality. He's still functioning. Break his spirit, and he's nothing. He's no good for anything. Correct. Yep. So God is, you know, for me, is about bringing me to that breaking of my will to depend on me. I got all the answers. I know how to get out of this mess. I just need to talk my way out of it. You know, that's <laughs> you can only talk your way out so much until it catches up. To that's you. right. That's for me, right. that's what I've learned. And that's it right. could be one day, it could go on for years before it catches up to you. Right. Everyone's different. Right. Um, so for our listeners, what is grace life? Cause you've mentioned it oh, a I'm few sorry. times. Grace and- life international is a counseling teaching ministry here in charlotte uh the website is gracelifeinternational.com and there's a lot of stuff on that website about uh discipleship counseling um and different teaching um events that we have that will uh there's one that's called advanced discipleship that lasts about nine months and it's three hours a week it's pretty intense Mm -hmm. but um it is if i was going to invest money in anything and I was a Christian. Now I I don't work for them like they don't they don't pay me a salary. Correct. Okay? I'm I'm a counselor there, but I don't I don't I don't have an hourly wage. I don't have commissions. I have mm. none of that. Right. So so I'm not trying to make money by getting more people, people to, come to come into to this thing. That's what I'm trying to get at. Right. But this advanced discipleship training uh, to me was the most impactful training that I had of my 40 some odd year Christian life. And um, so I'm, you know, I, I run around and talk about it a lot because it was just, it was amazing um, in ways of knowing who I am mm-hmm. and being able to divide flesh from spirit and being able to not, not that I've got it all completely down pat, mm-hmm. but to know uh, what forgiveness really is and how to, how to truly forgive somebody and removing judgment from them. Mm. releasing them completely from the debt that they owe you or whatever it is they did or how they hurt you. And that's hard. Yes. But coming to that place of walking through it's a, we have a six step process that we help take people through. And um, generally, you know, we'll, we'll see a lot of father issues or mother issues or those type of things. Um, uncles who have abused daughter, um, nieces or mm-hmm. nephews whatever and forgiveness is probably one of the one of the key points uh, that if we can get somebody to the place where they understand how much they've been forgiven by god which is everything mm-hmm. it's like how much is all all yep how much is it <laughs> they all all that's right it's everything it's, <laughs> it's everything that's right and that's what he forgave us mm-hmm. from beginning to end of our lives we were we were future people him when he died on the cross 2000 years ago our whole life had not been lived and he took the sin of the world and we were part of that so from beginning to end you are completely debt free he's removed everything that would have held against you from the law of the old testament Mm -hmm. against you and you are now totally free in his grace a lot of people will they don't like that because it's like, well, you just can't let somebody run around and be that free. I mean, you got to have some rules, you know, and to keep these people yeah. in line, right? Mm-hmm. But God has chosen not to do that. He has chosen to set us completely free so that we're free to love him or not. That's our choice, right? Our free will choice. Yep. But knowing how much you're loved because he has paid for everything. His very son, I'll say it this way, in this life, if you've ever bought a car or anything of any value or somebody's tried to sell you something that they had, mm-hmm. the only way to establish what it's worth is what somebody else is willing to pay for it. Correct. Would you Would you all agree, agree with that? Mm-hmm. Right? So if I took, took you and put you on a balance beam, you know, like one of those- um, Seesaws? Yeah, mm-hmm. or the what, what the Statue of Liberty is holding up, right? Mm-hmm. The two balance- Beams and I put you on one side, and I have you ask God, what is your worth? What would he put on the other side of that to equal up 
to what your value is. Mm-hmm. You know what his answer is going to be? What? Jesus. Mm-hmm. His very son is what you're worth because that's what he paid for you with. On the cross, yeah. On the cross. Now, when you start trying to think about and wrap your mind around how could you be worth the very son of God, the one who created the universe and everything in it? His grace and mercy. That, that worth starts getting pretty high, mm-hmm. right? Because there's nobody else higher than him. <laughs> yeah. so, so if we think we're worth less, we've got a lie going on inside us mm-hmm. when he says you're worth everything to me, my very son. I agree. Right? Yep. So that's when I started not believing this lie that I don't fit and I don't belong. Because we do. I began to believe that I do fit. I fit in him. Mm-hmm. I fit in the barn. I fit here today with you guys. I, I fit because of him. Does yeah. that make sense? He created you. That's right. He created me, KC, our listeners. That's right. Uh-oh. So when I look at um, I'm nobody's son, that lie, I'm nobody's son, it's not true anymore. I don't believe that about me anymore. What I believe about me today is I am my father's son, my earthly father, yes, but and by the way, that that relationship got restored the last three years he was alive. Amen. So that was marvelous, That's right? A it was like it never happened. Uh, and I felt whole, right? I became kind of whole. But my father in heaven is the father that I run to now. Mm-hmm. And he has put me in association with other masculine hearts, especially at the barn. Yeah. And with that, I don't feel that I'm fatherless anymore. Because you're not. Right. So the so these these healings that I'm talking about of the those three lies of I'm nobody's son, I don't fit and I don't belong have been obliterated by his grace. Amen. Right. And it takes time. It doesn't just happen overnight. Well, it took a long time to build that, you know. Correct. My, I'm Lord of my ring, yeah. right? I tell people a lot of times to say this after me. I'm going to get you to do it. Say, I'm not that important. I'm not that important. But I'm all I think about. But I'm all I think about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I have never had anybody to repeat that after me and not laugh <laughs> like you're doing right now. That chuckle going, oh, my God, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> right. That we, because of the fall up here in this soulish life, mm-hmm. we're, we, it, it's, it's like, it's all we can think about is how do we get our needs met for love, acceptance, worth, and security. Yep. And Eldridge talked about in his book, uh, Wild at Heart, that we take our need for validation to either the, as men, to either the job or the woman, Eve, mm-hmm. right? Every man's searching for his Eve. Yep. As long as you're at the job and you're getting accolades. Right. Yep. Or your girlfriend tells you you're all that in a bag of chips. You're on cloud nine. Right. But whenever, you know, no, no offense to your listeners that are that are female, but women have a way of looking at us that can turn us into a puddle in a few seconds. Right. Mm-hmm. We're on cloud nine and we're up, up like this, you know, and all of a sudden she gives us that. I don't even know how to do it. I mean, it's, a, it, it, you know, I've been married twice. I've been in my, I'm in my second marriage of, 25 years, but my daughters know how to do it. I don't know where my they got this from. To me when <laughs> we, I was in my we go like this. <laughs> we, just, we turn yep. on the little boys and we go, I got to go to my room. I, I need to be punished or something. So any, was, any women listeners, if you want to let me know <laughs> how you do that how look, do let that me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I almost think it's instinct or somehow or another it was, it was picked up on with the feminine heart because men men don't do that look for the most part. No, I don't know what it is, but I it's, mean that's why I used to fight, right? <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> um. So, so before we wrap up, um, I like to ask just our guests, what advice do you live by? Either advice that has been given to you that you hold close to your heart and follow, or just advice that you know you have come up with over your you know life well i'm not going to do to you what a 95 year old gentleman did to me when i was 28 so i'm down at my grandparents uh place down in florida visiting and they have this you know this it's a double wide trailer park but 
everything's skirted and the grass is all cut. Mm-hmm. Not, not like up here in North Carolina. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and um, so they're all at the clubhouse on a Saturday morning and they're going to celebrate one of their uh, members, their birthday. He mm-hmm. was 95 years old that day. And I'm thinking at 28 years old, what could I ask this man? What kind of advice could I get from this man who's lived this long? Surely he's got a gem or two that could help me the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I tell my grandparents, I'll be back in a minute. And I go over to his table and sit down right in front of him and say, Bill, uh, and I introduce myself. I said, at 95 years old, what'd be the one thing that you would tell a young man like me that would help me with my family and finances or whatever? Mm -hmm. And he goes, keep breathing. (laughs) Keep breathing. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like. I can't slap a 95-year-old man, but I sure want to. <laughs> Just a smart-ass answer. Yes, yes. So you asked me for me. Because, um, I mean, even our younger guests, I like to ask them because, right. you know, now at my age and, you know, things I've been through, I can learn from anyone. I don't care how old you are. And our listeners can learn if they allow, you know, themselves. Right. Like for me, be true to yourself. True to yourself. Uh, honesty, uh, integrity. See, see, we could talk about character qualities and we can talk about good morals. We could talk about uh, how to deal with finances, mm-hmm. how to manage money. I think that's one of the biggest things physically on this earth that, that one should pay very close attention to from their youth on. Up. Um, I didn't have much respect for money early on, and I, I wanted to be. They used to call me when I was in high school, Diamond Jim, the last of the big spenders, because I'd always come to school with 80 cents in my pocket or whatever and, <laughs> and be able to buy two lunches if I wanted. And um, and so they joked about it. But that I, I wanted to just be able to freely spend money and never have to think about it or worry about it. But that's mm-hmm. a pipe dream. That's not going to work, right? Correct. So if I were to say a tip about money is get infer- get trained on how to deal with money get training the bible says in book of proverbs get wisdom and get understanding tie wisdom around your neck and never let her leave you so when i had a financial crash and the marriage broke up and i'm in aa and i have no money i can't hardly even put gas in my car to go travel and do my sales that i was doing uh, for a company called pitney bows mm-hmm. i i had to give up on my best thinking and seek out help from people who knew how to handle money. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about financial planners. I'm talking about people like Dave Ramsey right now who does, he has a financial mm-hmm. success plan to, to take a family from, you know, he calls it the new BMW is a paid off mortgage, yep. right? The financial freedom, financial freedom. And since that time, I, I'm by the grace of God, I have not been in debt. Amen. The only debt I have is for a mortgage. Both mm-hmm. of our cars are paid for. But, but listen, early on in life, in my 30s and 40s, I was broke all the time. I had 22 credit cards when I ended up in divorce. Mm. And I owed $28,000 worth of unsecured debt. And it took seven years to pay that back, $5 at a time. I paid every one of those creditors back. When I say by the grace of God, the power, the persistence, the perseverance that it took to keep doing that every month, month after month, when it looked like it was never going to end, yeah, but it did. And since that time, one credit card, I'm not trying to give you monetary advice. I'm just telling you what happened to me. Okay. Yeah. One credit card, one checking account, managing uh, to pay all those bills inside the monthly income that I have. Mm-hmm. and never overextending myself. So yeah. that's just like in a nutshell, right? But I mean, Dave Ramsey goes into, I would highly recommend that to anybody. I've done this course twice. Good for you. Good for you. Mm-hmm. So now, if you were to say, what's the ultimate advice? Give your life to Christ. Let him rule your heart. Trust him in everything. And he will lead you into good money management, into provision for your life, finding that right mate for you. If you want to get married, amen. Um, looking, you know, in every physical need, spiritual need, emotional need, amen. I, it sounds churchy to me to say he's everything, but there's nothing that he won't do for us in his way. Correct. 
Right. It's uh, kind of like that little child going to their parents. Can I have this? Can I have that? And the parent knows Absolutely. that's not going to be good for that child. The child can't see that. That's exactly right. It's like our father doing that for us. Absolutely. So, well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story uh, and wisdom with our listeners and KC and I. Uh, it's been a pleasure and an my honor. My pleasure. My barn brother. Thank you. <laughs> so. <laughs> If you're listening, you're a guy and you're looking for a community, uh, shoot me a text, email, um, direct message. I would love to have you come out to the barn on Tuesday nights, six to seven dinner, currently at Show Mars off 521. And then we're meeting seven to nine thirty, ten at uh, Tyndall Furniture, which we call Barn North. Barn North. uh, We get to sit on Chuck Tyndall's fine furniture. Very fine furniture (laughs) while uh, the barn is having some work done. Yes. So thank you again for coming on and just taking uh, time to, you know, have a conversation about life and your story. So truly my pleasure. Thank you. Thank Um, you, man. Thank you all for tuning in this week to the rabbit hole show. Um, for more content, um, go check out the Instagram page, the rabbit hole show, all underscores, and then go subscribe and uh, follow and even rate on whatever platform you listen to, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And the YouTube page will be coming soon. Uh, but thank you all again. Love y'all and stay tuned for next week's episode.